Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources who remind you you don't mom alone. In this episode, number 243, I'm bringing back on Megan Michelson and Mary Flo Ridley from Birds and Bees. Wink, wink. This would be where I suggest you perhaps grab some earbuds, headphones, maybe a private location as you get equipped alongside me to have some less awkward conversations with your kids on topics that matter. I think the devil is in the darkness. And I think with all things sex, he has such a stronghold in this category, all of this category. And I think as parents and as believers specifically, if we can just turn the lights on, it just loses so much of its power. You know, and I think just by addressing it, hey, I, this is so hard. I understand that. And this is so normal. And you're going to mess up sometimes. And that's fine. But we just want you to know this is the big picture here. This is what God's designed for sex is. These are your natural sinful tendencies because we are broken people. But this is how God designed your body to handle that. Okay. And here is our family. And this is what we are going to do to get through this together. My hope is you parents of little ones are still listening because the whole point behind Megan and Mary Flo's model is to equip parents from when their kids are young to keep the conversation going as we're talking to them about sex and helping integrate our family value system into that conversation. In this particular topic, we're going to narrow in on questions I've received from y'all regarding puberty and masturbation and what's typical and what's not and how to handle it and truly as my kids are entering the teen years, it was so helpful to be equipped by Mary Flo and Megan so many years ago. I know you may have some baggage, some shame, some guilt around this topic. Perhaps your parents just had one talk that they sat you down and it was super awkward and everyone was uncomfortable and you really didn't learn anything and you would never bring it up with them again. And you don't know how it can look any different. Well, my hope is that after our chat today, you will be inspired to do things differently, to hold up standards, and yet also handle the conversation with grace and not shame or guilt. There are a lot of great resources Megan and Mary Flo share, and they're all in the show notes as well. You can find at don'tmomalone.com. Before we get into this chat, I definitely want to thank this month's sponsor, FabFitFun. When this show goes live, I'm hopefully going to be sitting on a beach with my hubby in Mexico. And I'm going to be enjoying some of the full-size products that were in my FabFitFun box. Now, what is FabFitFun? Well, if you haven't heard of it, it's a seasonal subscription box. And in it, they send you beauty, fitness, and health products, but not just like little samples. These are legit full-size things and not just consumable products. Like a robe is in this one or a purse. I'm going to get measuring spoons that I'll use when I get back. I'm not cooking while I'm on vacation. But if you want to check it out, all the products in a box are valued at over $200. They retail for $49.99, but they're going to give you a deal $10 off if you use the coupon code DMA10. DMA10, you get $10 off your first box, and you can go check it out over at fabfitfun.com. See what products are in this spring box. I think they have an editor's box that just came out. It's just really treating yourself special. I think it'd be a really great Mother's Day gift. You could treat your mom or your mother-in-law or yourself. Go check it out, fabfitfun.com. Coupon code DMA10. All right, let's get to my chat with Megan and Mary Flo. Here we go. 
Hey, Mary Flo and Megan, welcome back to the Don't Walk Alone podcast. Hey, Heather. Hello. All right. So because I'm interviewing two of y'all, I need you to introduce yourself separately. So who wants to go first? Mary Flo? I'll go first. Hi, everybody. My name is Mary Flo Ridley. Uh, I've been a friend of Heather's. It's just been such a blessing to know her and listen to her through the years. And I'm married to Dave Ridley. We've been married almost 40 years. We have three grown and married children and eight grandchildren. What a wonderful, wonderful life. I'm just so fortunate. Anyway, I also have a small business called The Birds and the Bees. My business partner is Megan Michelson, and we have a lot of fun. <laughs> we talk to parents about how to talk to their children about the birds and the bees. We're so thankful for you. And guys, I'm going to put, I've already said it, but I'm going to put links to all of our previous conversation in the show notes. And some of those conversations, it's just Mary Flo and I. And in recent years, Megan, you have joined the team. And so introduce yourself. Okay. My name is Megan Michelson and um, I joined up with Mary Flo about four years ago. And so it's been really exciting for us to kind of regroup and rebrand her message that she's been sharing for almost 30 years. So it's been a privilege to come on board and bring this to a new generation. But we are excited to empower and equip parents on this daunting topic. So we try to reach parents with young kids because we think these conversations should start in the early years. Um, And I am a mother of young kids. So Blake and I, my husband, have been married for 10 years, and we have three little kids, one, four, and six. So I'm in the trenches with you guys (laughs) and um, barely making it. So hopefully we can get this conversation um, during nap time. That's my hope right now. So I am right there with you guys. We're trying to finish before Ben wakes up. Yeah. <laughs> so we have the grandmother and the young mother. So yes. we're kind of <laughs> the bookends here. And I'll leave like right in the middle there, you know, heading <laughs> yes. into the teen years. So the focus of today is to answer a lot of questions on the topic of puberty and masturbation, questions that I get in my inbox a lot, actually. So if you are a mom who's struggling in those topics, you are absolutely not alone. A lot of us feel ill-equipped to handle situations that I think bring up a lot of shame and wounds from our own story. And we see our child and we wonder if what they're experiencing is normal. We wonder how do we talk to them about it. And I want to like bring on Megan and Mary Flo, not because they are doctors, they're not, not because they're psychologists, they're not. They are moms who have spent a lot of time on this topic and how do we equip you to engage your child in conversation? Because honestly, like I've said multiple times before, it's keeping that conversation going that's going to help your child in the long term as they head into a culture that's very different from a lot of times what we believe to be true. And so in order to have conversations about puberty and masturbation, I think we need to get to the root, the core of where Birds and Bees started and what your philosophy is on handling conversations about sex. So I don't know who wants to give a little bit about that, but I think that would be super helpful first. Recap, Mary Flo, Recap. you want to take it? Okay. <laughs> sure, take it? sure. Let me just tell you uh, a little bit and I'll let Megan kind of um, add to this. But um, really, as Megan said earlier, our purpose is to equip and encourage parents on the topic of the birds and the bees. And so our strategy is one to start early. And that even starts before 
your children enter the conversations, and that is to have a conversation either with your spouse or with a very trusted friend if you're a single parent, to talk about what is the main idea that we're trying to get across to our children in these conversations, and we call that our message. And we have resources to help you discover what the really the heartbeat is for your family. What is the main thing you want your children to know about sex if they're growing up in your family? This gives all of your conversations purpose and meaning and focus. And an example would be that we would want our children to grow up understanding that sex is a gift from God intended for marriage. That's an idea of a message that a family might have. So um, we have six steps. The first step is the message. And then we go into vocabulary using Uh, the right words, uh, anatomically correct words for our children's bodies. And then we talk about the dazzling story of birth with in great detail. And um, we follow that up with kind of a focus on seeds and eggs. We see the beauty of God's design in all living things and how he designed them to reproduce. And then we tell the story of conception, just the basic biology with your message. And it's really just a very simple story of explaining conception. And um, those are kind of our steps Uh, on our strategy is to start really in those early curious questions. Where do babies come from? How are babies born? How are babies made? And letting you as the parent be the authority. Um, And I think just to add on to Mary Flo, which I think she did a great job of just kind of explaining our um, basic ideas and methods and curriculum. But I think the overall theme that what we are so passionate about is getting rid of this idea of, you can't see me, but quote unquote, the talk. I think we can all relate to this topic when it was kind of a one-time conversation and, you know, your mom or dad walked in the room and boom, just said (laughs) everything you never wanted to know about sex and then the door closed and then it was never spoken of again. Um, And so that is kind of what we're trying to get rid of is this idea that this is a one-time conversation in parenting. And we feel so strongly that the world around us, the world that we are raising our kids in has changed so drastically that the way we as parents talk about sex has to change drastically as well. And so we want to get rid of this idea of the talk and replace it with multiple age-appropriate conversations in a little-by-little approach where we do establish this um, conversation pattern where we are the loving authority in our child's life on this topic. So I know this doesn't sound super exciting or fun, um, (laughs) specifically when it comes to, oh, I don't know, puberty and masturbation. Um, But I promise you want your kids coming to you and you want to be having these conversations with them um, and not somebody else. So I know it's scary and overwhelming, but I promise if you just kind of break it down into little by little, um, it is such a better way of doing things. And I know a lot of my listeners have kids under the age of five, and so that's why I'm so passionate about them connecting with you all, because they may even see the title of the show and think that's not for me, and what Mm -hmm. I want to communicate is it's not waiting until your child hits puberty or the preteen stage to talk about these things like sex, Um, right? but to be planting all the little seeds and all, all of the words and getting that all in place. So when they hit puberty, it's not this shock of right. what? <laughs> what <laughs> are you talking about? Uh, which was, yeah, like you described Megan, exactly my experience, this one time mm-hmm. conversation or this attempt at a conversation. And I just said, well, I know it all like, oh no, I already right. talked to my friends about it out of, please don't tell me, please, yeah. please let's not have this awkward conversation because when they're little it's not awkward. 
-hmm. They're curious. They're scientists. They're sorting things out in their world. It is not real sensual and emotionally driven. It is basic facts and they are so, so curious. So taking advantage of that to be the expert before it gets into awkward and embarrassing, which is like around 10 or 11, I feel like. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so many people reach out to me on the topic of puberty. What have y'all found to be the best resources once you get to that stage? You've set the family value statement, you've uh, the message, you're using real terms all along the way, you're answering your child's questions as they're asked, and now you're getting to where you need to probably have this conversation because even though you've set all those things up, kids forget. And so how how do you suggest handling that? Well, I think you can actually be prepping that just a little bit along the way um, in that you can talk about, let's say you have a six-year-old little boy who has a toddler in the family. You can say, look how much bigger you are. Look how you've changed. You're not crawling on the floor. You're not eating soft foods. You're, you know, like help them understand that for a long time, your body has already been changing and it's going to, and some of those things you don't remember, you don't remember changing from an infant to a toddler, but I do. But the next step, you know, eventually you're going to start to remember some of these changes and we're here for you just like we were there for you when you changed before. So help them establish the idea that it's not like they've always been a child, like an eight-year-old, that they have already gone through a lot of physiological changes. And the next step changes them from being a boy to a man or a girl to a woman. But anyway, just so that it's not quite so scary, they can know they've got, they've done this before and they survive. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, as far as resources, um, Megan has some, and, and I have some in front of me too. Uh, one that we love is Dr. Kara Natterson, and we'll give you all these resources Heather, so you can share. But um, she has written The Care and Keeping of You. It's an American girl book. It's excellent on body changing, hygiene, you know, and it is about your menstrual period, but it's also just about deodorant. You know, (laughs) it's about a lot of things. And then she has just recently written one called Guy Stuff, the body book for boys. Hmm. And it's very respectful in two areas. It's very respectful to the child and very respectful for sending the child to the parent. Very respectful of the parents. Ask your parents, talk to your parents is a constant kind of refrain in her books, which I really appreciate. And I think it's important to clarify too. I mean, I'm in a young kid world. And so when I hear American Girl, I'm just thinking of like, Samantha and Molly, but this brand is so much bigger. And so they have brought this pediatrician on board and she's created these awesome resources, um, with both of these books for both genders. And I think when kids get to that age, you know, 10 plus, these books are great to kind of give them, like empower them a little bit. I'm saying, okay, here, take this book. I want you to read it, you know, have it in your room and kind of give them, um, their own like individual, like kind of research, you know, it's not only like, come talk to me, come talk to me, but like read this book and then let's talk about it. You know, on Tuesdays, we're going to walk around the block or, you know, maybe set aside some intentional time where they have time to kind of read it themselves and digest it and think of questions, you know, cause sometimes if we're in the moment and we're saying, explaining a period, well, that is a lot of information at once and a little yeah. scary, yeah. but if you let them kind of digest it on their own, 
um, after a conversation and then kind of circle back toward the, you know, to them of like, Hey, did you have any questions about that? You know, when I was your age, this is what I thought. And so it really scared me, but I wish my mom would have told me this, or, um, did you have any questions about this diagram or just, it's a great tool, um, to kind of let them read a little bit on their own, but also stay really engaged in conversations as a parent. Well, we have some resources for parents also, but another one for kids, there's a series of books by Stan and Brenna Jones, and it actually starts, it's four different books. The first is about birth and then about conception, and then it gets into pre-puberty and puberty. And the first two parents would read to their children, and the second two children just like Megan was saying, can read on their own, but also parents can kind of guide them. And so it's a series of four books. It's called God's Design for Sex. And I think that's an excellent, that is a more of a faith-based approach than the care and keeping of you and the guy stuff. But they're both really good. Excellent. And so then as parents, I'm sure people have written books on how we can prepare to get ready to enter into this season of change. Right. And Megan, I think you have a book in front of you, right? Yes. So, I mean, this book, the one that I'm talking about or have right here is, um, wild things. And it's talking about the art of nurturing boys. Oh yeah. David Thomas. He's yes. Who, yeah, I know you are a huge fan. I am a huge fan. I love everything he says. And, um, I have a little girl and then two boys. And so this boy world is new for me because I only had sisters. So I am, try to gather all this information about boys. And I should just really call Heather, my friend here, um, to tell me what to do. (laughs) But um, he does a great job, I think, walking through boyhood and um, definitely as it gets to puberty. And then as far as parents go, some of our birds and bees resources is um, to kind of guide our discussion guide is helpful to kind of coincide with our curriculum that we have um, to really help parents discuss amongst themselves as spouses or amongst themselves with a small group and kind of figure out where they stand on certain things. Like what phrases are you comfortable saying? How did your parents talk to you about this? How do you wish they would have done it differently? And again, just kind of helps you as a couple or as an individual really figure out, okay, what's my game plan for these conversations or how am I going to tackle this topic as my kids get older? And so I think it's just great to always have a game plan and be ahead of these topics we always want to encourage parents to be proactive with this stuff mm-hmm. and not reactive. It's You don't want to have the first conversation about a period when your daughter is telling you that she just started, right? Yeah. And and don't girls start at such a large range of ages now? Yes. Like younger it's like and 10 younger. to 16 or something, mm-hmm. you know, and like anything in between or before or after. So it's like any thing can happen. And I think as parents with all of these conversations about sex and cha- body changes and every single fun thing to talk about. I think it's really empowering for our kids if we preempt the situations they're going to encounter. You know, then they know my mom told me about this or my dad told me this was going to happen. I feel like that's a very um, empowering feeling for kids. And so we want to stay ahead of all of this stuff as parents. I would say too, you know, when our children are very young, we pick their pediatrician, but I want you to think again Like, are you sure this is the pediatrician you want talking to your children about this topic? I would go back on my own and talk to my pediatrician and say, how are you going to, you're an authority figure in my child's life. What are you going to tell them about either birth control or puberty or any of these things? I would get information from them. And then I would a little bit ask them, 
how that conversation is going to go. Because when they hit puberty, a lot of times they'll ask the parents to leave the room yeah, yeah. and they'll go over things with them. And I think as a parent, it's good to know exactly what they're going to say. And, um, you know, I would enlist the help of your pediatrician, your youth counselor, your, you know, I would, I would reach out to the people who have been working with preteens and teens for a long time and ask them, what should we be tackling now? And also your pediatrician can give you a a physical heads up. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I didn't know if it was true for girls. I'm guessing the buds they would know in their chest. Yes. They can give you like a year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because for my son, I remember him telling me uh, like a six month in advance. I mean, just because the timing of our appointment, but he was like, plan for, you know, next spring. And I was like, oh, I had no idea that you could like, <laughs> know. I had no Good idea this is my first go around, but that they right? can give you that heads up. Cause I know some moms are going to hear you say, we need to be prepared. We need to talk to them ahead of time. And they're like, how do I know if it's like, I need to talk to her at nine and a half or at 12 and a half. That's a big difference in age. And to know that your pediatrician will give you a heads up is super helpful. And also, even if they're going to be interacting with older girls or older boys, um, let's say they're going off to spend the night camp. Well, their counselor may be having her period. Mm -hmm. And so just to say, you may want to know what some of these things are. Maybe you pull out the pads or the tampon and just say, I just want you to know this is what happens. And, and, you know, just even when they are 10, you know, or, and you don't think they're about to start, some of their friends may be starting. So obviously from family to family, this is going to look different. But if you feel like a situation is going to come up where they may hear about it from someone else first, it's a good idea to just preempt that. Some of our kids are going to be more curious too. They're going yes. to be the ones asking more questions or noticing. Mm-hmm. Uh, some parents asked me, what if your child is completely not interested or avoidant of the topic? Do you bring it up or do you just continue to follow their lead of interest? A phrase that we say a lot in our Birds and Bees curriculum is that where we typically set the stage that there are going to be those kids that are question askers, you know, that are just peppering you with questions, mom, mom, dad, 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 which is great. And it leads to fruitful conversations. But there's also typically their brother or sister who isn't. Um, and they are just mouth closed, eyes rolling, don't want to, fingers in the ears. Like, I don't want to talk about this, but we are now proactive parents, right? So we want to move towards our children with this information when we think it's appropriate. So if they're not asking questions, a helpful phrase that we use is, have you ever wondered dot, 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 you know, have you ever wondered what's going to happen to your body as you transition um, out of childhood? Or have you ever wondered why, you know, or how, you know, so-and-so looks different than you do right now? Or have you ever wondered what the word puberty means? And again, just kind of engaging in those conversations. And it's particularly with those kids and really all kids as they get closer to puberty, we really encourage uh, parents to have shoulder to shoulder conversations, car rides. You know, that's a great time um, to have conversations where they're not just looking eyeball to eyeball, you know, or going on a walk. And I think it's also okay too, just to be really honest about it. Like, I know you don't want to talk to me about this. Like, I know this is not a fun topic, but it is so important to me that you get the facts from me because there are a lot of confusing things out there. So I am going to guide these conversations and you might just want to crawl under that floor, but we are going to get through this because I really want you to hear from me. So I think it's okay if kids aren't asking to still be um, leading the charge on that. I think that's really important. Agree. That's good. Okay. Anything else? I, I was just thinking too of the movie Inside Out. And at the very end, they're like, every thinking everything's going to be fine with her emotionally. And then 
they're like talking about puberty and it's this like it brings horror to all the different emotions and the the little control board gets expanded um yeah so that was when I think my boys were like what is puberty I think they were like that was a new word in the ages that they were that it came up so if you're looking for a way to kind of sneak it in there and have your kids ask watch inside out you're right (laughs) pull up the movie one more time yeah one more time uh, so anything else y'all want to say before we move into our next fun topic? Gosh, buckle up. That's what I'm about to say. Exactly. Well, I, I'll, I'm, I'm just going to say one more thing. There's, yeah. a, there's a tool that we use in um, Birds and Bees, and it's called the Timeline. Oh, yes. I and, love this. Please tell it. And it's it's a very simple, no Wi-Fi required. It's just a, a long sheet of paper with a line and a, a graph. And that graph is, let's say, 1 to 80. Let your children know this is, let's say this is how long you live. You live to be 80 and you kind of walk through that. I'm not going to go through that whole thing right now. We have our online curriculum where you can see exactly how that plays out. But basically what it ends up being is an illustration of the fact that they've already lived these 12 years and this has been their, their life so far. You kind of run the highlight film of that. And then you help them dream their life in their future, their future family, their future education, their future calling, work, whatever. But then you go back to those in-between years, and it's not very many years, but it's their teenage years. And just they can see that even though it's not a long time in their life, it's a pivotal time. And so you can see it within the context of their whole life. It ends up being a really valuable conversation tool and one that's good for the launch, you know, transitioning from childhood to adulthood. It's, it's just parents have loved the timeline. So I just wanted to tell you about that. I love it. It stuck with me. And y'all, I'm telling you, if you have not heard Megan and Mary Flo before, you have to go back and listen to our other conversations because they're going to so equip you. I even last night, last night, putting my two youngest to bed, ended up in a whole conversation that I didn't want to have to bring up with them, but they were asking questions about abortion. I don't want to have conversations about abortion with my kids because it brings up a whole lot of issues that I love for them to stay innocent on, but they were asking and thankfully they come to me, but we were able to have those conversations because I'd already been laying a lot of the foundation using the tools that y'all had given me, equipping me. I've also, um, (laughs) whether I wanted to or not, had a conversation with my older two boys on the topic of masturbation. And so we talked about it. And when I told some friends later that that topic had come up, they were horrified that he was talking to me. And I thought, well, we always talk about these things. Like that was something that he didn't, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not an easy conversation to have, but I am thankful that we can talk about it because we always have. And that's really the whole premise of yes. the birds bees to talk about these things when they're young. They don't even remember some of the moments, but they do remember the information. And then you just have the credibility to enter in these difficult conversations because it's not a new thing for you all. And, you know, do you want him to Google it? You don't. No, no, no. Or just have his friends misinform him on what it is or what are, yes. how it fits into our family message. Um, Way to go. Well, thank you, actually. Um, But before we get into like the preteen teen conversation, I think that we need to talk about the younger ages because a lot of moms reach out to me asking 
what's normal. Is it normal for their three-year-old to touch themselves? What about a seven-year-old? And so I'd love to talk through kind of demystifying all this and also uh, shining light on some shame we, we may bring to the topic when we see our children presenting with a behavior that makes us uncomfortable. So is it normal for a three-year-old to touch themselves? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Short answer. <laughs> That's true. Way to go, Megan. Way to handle. All right, moving on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, next. I'm just kidding. Um, but I think before we jump into any specifics of these conversations, yeah. I think it's important to remind parents, and we say this a lot, um, specifically when you're explaining the basic biology of sex to your young kids. Now, nobody panic. We're not explaining a very sensual thing to our kids. But in all of these conversations, we have to remember that we, the parents, are post-pubescent hormonal beings right? So we are sensual beings. And when we say some of these things or phrases, we are bringing a lot of baggage to the forefront of our brain or good experiences, bad experiences. We are interpreting all of this general topic with so much or such a different approach than our kids, right? We are hormonally charged beings. Our young kids, whether they're doing something or asking something or hearing something, aren't interpreting it in a sensual way. So I think it's important to clarify that. Does that make sense? Like they might think they're taking things at like face value or kind of as a facts. They're not taking it in as a sensual thing. So their touching at a young age is not the same as a masturbation conversation for older kids. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm-hmm. Rachel, you want to tag onto that? I just want well, to. I, yes. I think we have an overlay of emotional baggage when we see a child put their hands in their pants, that's not what they're thinking about. They're not um, having sensual thoughts, but they are possibly comforting or it's just become a habit or this is just this just feels good. But they're, they're pretty simple about it. I would say our approach as we've talked to parents through the years is to approach your children in your kind pediatrician voice matter-of-factly, let them know, you know what, that's not a good place for your hands. Uh, we talk about hygiene and manners. Let them know that it's it makes other people uncomfortable to see you with your hands in your pants because they know that's a place where you just went to the bathroom. And then you're going to shake hands with them or you're going to, yeah. or you're going to pick up a French fry. You know, so we're, we're all about the hygiene and the manners when it comes to small children with hands in their pants. You, you would do the same thing if they had their finger in their nose, you know, you would say, here you go, here's a tissue. Let's, you know, don't forget, we don't do that in public. It's kind of a manners thing. Does that make sense, Heather? Yeah, I love it. So, And I I think it's like Mary Flo touched on with um, like the pediatrician tone. I think in all these conversations, we as parents um, stick to your matter of fact tone. You know, we don't need to say, oh, sweetheart, I know that probably feels good, but that, that is a special touch that God for much later, it's like, whoa, that is so heavy. It's very heavy. Or, yeah. or the or three-year-old. What are you doing? Totally. That's like, disgusting. Get That's disgusting. That is not, ugh, stop. Such no. a freak. Like, okay, whoa, early <laughs> we can take it down a notch, you know? So I think we don't need to panic or overreact. I think matter of fact, honey, get your hands out of your pants. Okay. That's where we go potty. You want to keep our hands clean. Let's go wash our hands. Or a simple hands out. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, like a little reminder. If you're as you're building a habit, you might just need a little reminder. You've already talked mm-hmm. about it outside of the moment, and so it's just like I have one of my sons. He puts his knee up at dinner every single time we eat <laughs> dinner. I'm like, put your leg down, put your leg down, put your leg down. 
it's a similar, it's a habit that you're trying to change, but it's not something that you need to be fearful of. I also love Mary Flo, what you said before we got on the call about the comforting aspect of it, how we often view it differently than we would a hair twirling or a finger sucking. Talk through that. Well, a lot of children, when you know, we, we've gotten into the habit of letting children comfort themselves to sleep when they're babies. Well, when they're a little bit older, they comfort themselves to sleep. And sometimes they have a, a blankie or, or they twirl their hair or they tickle their arm. They just do a little, little comfort routine. Parents get very uncomfortable when that comfort routine becomes touching them, you know, inside their underwear. So and touching their privates. And I understand that, but um, I don't want parents to panic about that when they're little. But you may, just like you would if they were sucking their thumb, start to get them out of that habit when they can understand that, you know, just to say, instead of um, putting your hands in your pants, here's a blanket or here's here's a book. Why don't you, you know, if they're starting to look at picture books, why don't you look at this picture book before you go to sleep or just find something that would suit your routine. Once again, just emphasizing the hygiene of it all, just because it's something that you would get them out of the habit of. I know we had a granddaughter that twirled her hair and it was making insane knots in her hair. And so we had to, or her parents kind of kept reminding her, just let's remember, let's try not to twirl your hair tonight. Let's try not to put our hands in our pants tonight because it's a hygiene issue. And I I know we wouldn't use the word, but you know, just exactly what Megan said, that's where you go potty. And so we don't, we just don't need to mess around with that. But once again, I would not see it any differently than that. And I think that's important for parents to hear, especially, you know, in a conservative culture, you know, if you're a conservative Christian culture thinking, okay, well then if I am being permissive with this behavior now, does that mean that's my stance on it when they get to be 14 or 15? Um, you know, or I think, okay, if they're doing this now, then, oh my goodness, they are, they must be a very sexual being. Like we have big problems coming. You know, I think so, so often parents just go so far down the road with this. And it's, I think it's important to separate, um, and realize, okay, this, these are young kids. Is this behavior normal? Yes. Um, and it doesn't mean they're going to always be doing this. No. So I think it's um, always include your pediatrician on these conversations. I think it's always helpful to um, hear from them. Um, but I think that so often parents can kind of panic when they see this behavior because they're thinking of it through a sensual lens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super helpful. So then the question becomes, when do we bring it up in talking about it sensually? So this is a fun topic, right? Here. Yeah, this, this is what we are all. This is what about. we were born to do. Yeah, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> making my kids proud right here. Hey, hey, do you know uh, how many messages I got from people that said I don't have questions, but way to go talking yeah. about it? So we can do this. We can do this. Uh, you can just, want to just pray for us right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here we go. Um, I think. Now, I am going to say something briefly, and then I'll let Mary Flo handle this because she's much wiser than I am. And this is not something I've tackled personally in my parenthood journey. But I think it's what we see over and over again with counselors or pediatricians or college staff. Um, they see so much shame in this area, especially with Christians, so much shame and a guilt-shame cycle pattern. Um, and so I think our generation is reacting from that. And so they're saying, well, I don't want my son or I don't want my daughter because this happens to girls too. Um, but I don't want my son or daughter to get have this guilt-shame cycle. So uh, I think that is where people kind of develop two camps a little bit. Um, of the, It's normal. It's okay. I don't want them to feel bad about it. Or it's bad. Don't do it. 
stop. This is your, that's weird. And so I think it's hard to figure out, okay, where do I stand? Mary Flo, do you want to add to that? Or do you want me to kind of refer to my guiding light over here, David Thomas, and kind of talk about what he says? Because I think his words are just so much better than anything I could say. Well, I do want you to share his words. I'm just going to throw one more thing, one more thing in there. And that is that um, you asked, when do we bring this up? And I would definitely like take your pediatrician's cue when he said, you've got about six months. So Heather, gold stars, you know, you had about six months Mm -hmm. and you also have had the conversation you have, you've brought it up. And so that's just perfect because now your son will be able to remember that you talked about this. And, um, if this happens, he can, you know, he can know that this is, it's not abnormal to masturbate. That is a fact that is not an abnormal behavior, but it's something that they need to understand can have long-term consequences. So, um, I remember James Dobson had kind of a theory about all this when we were raising our children. And his was that his phrase was that masturbation was a natural release of sexual tension is the way he put it. And that there should not be unnecessary shame or guilt. However, there should be some guidelines and the guidelines would be that this is not continued in marriage, that this is not associated with pornography, that this is not uh, the sole preoccupation of your teenage years, you know, so he, and this should not be done with groups, you know, this is uh, a very private thing and, and no pornography. Well, in those years of raising children, many people just heard the there shouldn't be unnecessary guilt. This is a very natural thing. Go for it kind of a deal. And they blew past the pornography. Now with the prevalence of pornography, the accessibility, the affordability, I mean, it's just totally all there. Um, that's going to be a hard disconnect. And so what we're hearing from a lot of youth ministers, well, actually pastors that work with college kids and young adults and premarital counselors is that this is an epidemic of a great addiction. It's a great, huge issue now. So there needs to be more of a warning of how uh, this is normal, but as you're going to hear this other uh, author say, not beneficial. So it's one of those topics that that's why it's so difficult. You can say, yes, honey, this is absolutely normal. You're learning about your body, how it works, but there's also it can become a habit of comfort. And if this is where you go when you're upset or when you're um, angry, if this is how you comfort yourself, then this is not beneficial to you in your future. So it can just become very habitual. So then now I'm going to let Megan kind of wrap it up with this really great author. Yeah. So I, <laughs> woo, this is just <laughs> so great. So I, I do think that as parents, what we don't want to do is shame our kids. You know, that's, I think, the biggest fear of our generation. It's like, I don't want them to be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. Um, so I think it's first and foremost important to address, like, this is normal. Like, this is a very, we want to normalize this behavior. But then we want them to know that just because it's normal and stimulating and arousing, that doesn't mean it's beneficial. You know, so I think, again, with all of these conversations um, about masturbation or just all things, puberty and sex and all those fun topics, these aren't just one-time conversations, you know, and I think that you have to engage with your child. I know this sounds so horrible, 
uh, for some of us to actually be having these conversations. But Heather, I think your example was just so great. Like you can't just have like a rule for your child. Rules without relationships aren't effective. And so I think when you and your son were able to talk about masturbation, like that's how great that he got to hear from you, you know, and not just like, don't do it. Well, I think it, it fits with your birds and bees in that he and I had already established our family message that sex is a beautiful thing intended for marriage. And so again, that sexual release that, that it's, that's in a marriage, you're going to have that release. And before then you're going to need that release, but how is that going to happen? And so again, it's like, this is how you were designed. This is the place for it. There's going to be a temptation for it to take an unhealthy bent, just like sex can have an unhealthy bent if you go outside of God's design. And so, yeah, I think everything you've said is so helpful. Some people have said, what is the biblical view on the topic? (laughs) The word masturbation is not in the Bible. Am I correct? The Bible is pretty silent on this specific topic, but I think it can be a part of lust. It can be a real selfish, if especially like in Matthew, when Jesus is talking about, even if you look at a woman, the word that he uses there, I was looking into this, the word that he uses there is the lust word for greed. Like it's okay to have a lot of money, but it's not okay to be greedy with it. It's okay. It's great. Sex is a beautiful thing. It's God's design. He has great intentions for it. It's a beautiful thing, but it's not okay to be selfishly lustful. And masturbation, pornography, those things are dis- are a destructive side of sex, just like greed is a destructive side of material things. So it's not specifically spoken of, but there are parallels in there. And even just thinking ahead, to the faithfulness of marriage, practice being faithful is something that we can tell our children. You don't just become faithful to your wife the minute you're married. You can practice being faithful in how you, um, you know, stay away from pornography to keep the marriage bed sacred even before you ever approach the marriage bed. I know that sounds awfully lofty in this day and age, but I think we can set some lofty thoughts in our children's minds and let them know, you know, you may fall from that. That may not be something that's, that's going to be a hard thing to do. And when we fail and we sin and we, we can confess and it's not the unforgivable sin and you can start over, you know, this is an area that it's very hard to stay pure. But on the other hand, just know that we're all here for you, you know, and we, we understand the struggles that this can be. So it's no, the Bible does not specifically talk about masturbation, but there are parallels. But I also think it's really, the Bible is very clear about what sex is, or it is intended to be, you know, and it's, you know, in a covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Well, masturbation is a solo act. And I think once you're talking to your child, you know, as they get older about what sex is intended to be, it was never intended for solo gratification. By definition, I think that's what masturbation is. So I think we just have this balance of, is it normal? Yes. Is it culturally acceptable? Yes. Does that make it right? And that's the question that we're going to have to answer. And I think, I think the answer is no. And I, that's a bold answer. And I think it just goes against so much of our culture is to say that it's not. But if you think about what the Bible says, if it's meant to be for being two people, 
what you're doing with a habit of masturbation is you're creating a long-term pattern where you're making it to be very selfish in a way. Like I want it, I get it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if that, and if that, you know, line of, is it wrong? That line causes you personally as a mom or a dad that's listening, shame or guilt. I think what this entire conversation is saying is that that shame or guilt in the dark only keeps you more captive Mm -hmm. and it only separates you from healing and forgiveness that's available to you. It's not like it's like you said, Mary Flo, it's not the unforgivable thing that you've done. And so I should hope that not only does this conversation we're having open up conversations with kids and adults, but also adults with each other that they can um, like my friend Jamie Ivy in her book, If You Only Knew, she has a whole chapter on her struggle with this. And I think I went to the IF gathering and there was a gal in front of this huge audience that's being streamed live all over the world. She shared her own struggle with masturbation. I think the more open we are about it, the enemy loses his grip and it doesn't yes. become something that causes um, us to think in those, but he would never forgive me of this or and, and that just keeps the addiction going. It keeps the shame going. And so if we can um, say, yeah, this, you know what, this isn't my best. I don't want to spend my time doing this. I mm-hmm. am addicted to this. Just like some of us can be addicted to shopping or gossip or all, you know, all sin is equal in God's Completely. mind. And so then we can free ourselves to be like, okay, now what do I do? How do I have community come alongside me to encourage me to speak grace and life over me so I don't live in that place of guilt and shame and um, and then create that environment for our families where we can say, yeah, I failed here and I feel here and I have these things that I'm struggling through so that they know if, if that's true for them, they can come to us. And that's why I think it's so important to continue these conversations for you just to say, no, it's wrong. That's not helpful. That is creating guilt and shame. And that is not what we're trying to do. We are trying to get them to see the bigger picture of what God designed for sex and just to understand the way our bodies were designed to work. And um, this David Thomas, I'll read something from him because he fully focuses a lot on this, which I think is super helpful. And he was saying, um, when talking to boys about this topic, we like to introduce psychological principles because they do best when thinking about kind of facts is what he's saying. And he introduces the topic of Pavlov's dogs. Y'all, are y'all familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah. Study, whatever. And so basically you're just training your body to want, feel the need for arousal. You're feeling the physical buildup. And so that's when you are led to masturbate. Um, but then again, it's all for, through conversations, right? So we need to just have these conversations with our boys and girls in this specific situation, boys, um, and explain to them, okay, um, well, what is a nocturnal emission? Well, that's a fancy word for a wet dream. And this is what, this is how your body is designed. This is normal. Um, okay. So let's say this happens. Here's our plan. You know, like walk through this with your child. And again, I'm like, oh my gosh, here I am on a podcast talking about this. Y'all help me. <laughs> but I mean, these are con- these are real conversations. But these are these are real conversations. This yeah. is going to happen. Yeah. And again, I think they're devil. The devil is in the darkness. And I think with all things sex, he has such a stronghold in this category, all of this category. And I think as parents and as believers specifically, if we can just turn the lights on, it just loses so much of its power, mm-hmm. you know. And I think just by addressing it, hey, I, this is so hard. I understand that, and this is so normal. And you're going to mess up sometimes, and that's fine. But we just want you to know, this is the big picture here. This is what God's designed for sex is. These are your natural sinful tendencies because we are broken people. And but this is how God designed your body to handle that. Okay. And here is our family. And this is what we are going to do to get through this together. Right. 
And I reached out to a campus minister that I've um, communicated with in the past. And, and because some of these guys, their parents have never talked to them. And I say guys, but I mean guys and girls. Some of the kids say, but there, but there are no consequences. You know, like this is not hurting anyone for me to masturbate. And he said, honestly, it doesn't seem to have any consequences to people other than maybe feeling bad. However, masturbation trains you in selfish and false intimacy, which will always affect your present and future relationships. So it's just helping them, like Megan just said, see, look down the the way, help them to see the future of what this was all intended to be and know that restraining yourself in this area is for your benefit and, and for the benefit of your future husband or wife. When I'm thinking about the fact that you said it's an iso- it's it creates more isolation. Mm-hmm. And that is, I feel like across the board, the tactic of the enemy right now is to isolate yes. us and keep us from community, keep us from relationships, cause division. And so it's just one more, he's not creative. He's just crafty. And it's just like another way for him to isolate us from one another. And so- I think that's super helpful. Creates loneliness. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And it just adds to the guilt and shame. Yeah. With more loneliness. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a topic where I think you first and foremost, if you are married, get your husband in on this conversation before you even talk to your children and say, okay, how do you, where do you stand on this topic? What do you wish your parents would have told you? How do you want to handle this with our daughters and sons? Like, wh- like this needs to be a united front if possible. And you also need to be as parents looking to see if a lot of times masturbation is a coping mechanism for stress and anxiety and depression and failing to live up to certain expectations, exhaustion, you know, see if there are other areas in their life that need some support and comfort so that that doesn't become their sole comfort device. Well, and I just remembered I was talking to Sissy Goff and David Thomas. You mentioned David Thomas about this topic and maybe having them come on um, too, but she was saying that the trickiness about it, especially in younger children, she she likes to talk to the parents individually because sometimes uh, it can be a red flag if there was abuse. Mm-hmm. So staying in constant conversation with your kids, this is not to scare anyone. This is not to, if your child's touching themselves, it doesn't mean they were abused. But for her personally, as a counselor, she likes to tease out talking to the parent to see if there are other red flags beyond the masturbation. So to not just think, oh, that's normal and miss one of the clues. Um, one of my friends, her daughter, they, she was bathing her and she asked the mom, will you, you wash my private area again? And so asking for it to be really, really clean because she felt dirty. And then they found out that she'd been um, sexually abused by a neighbor. So there are other things, but I did want to draw that connection in case there's something that you're feeling like is going on. I don't know. Maybe we no. I think that's why bring this up, mm-hmm. but no, I think that's important. It's not like fun to talk about and it's a very dark topic, but I think it's important to be aware, but not fearful. Like, I don't think we had panic. We don't need to panic. We're not going we to panic, panic moms. moms. Nobody no. panic. Um, but, but I think we, it's always, we do have aware. intuition. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I think we've uh, we've covered it. <laughs> this is so fun. Was it? Okay. Well. No, it wasn't. But I think it's so important. Okay. okay, it's not fun, but I like talking to you both. And I think if anything, parents listening, just to like, you've got to just find your voice. And we always say this at Birds and Bees, but your voice might sound different from ours. And that's okay. But the best thing we can do with all these topics is just 
stay engaged with our child and let them hear your voice. Let them know where you stand because they are hearing from the world, but they've got to hear from us as parents too. Good. Well, thanks y'all. I'm going to connect everyone to you online and your social media. And so we appreciate you coming on today. Thanks, Heather. Heather, thanks for taking on this hard topic. This is, this is a challenge, but you did it. Um, thank you so much. Okay, y'all. Thanks for hanging in there. Thank you for giving us grace to handle a topic where we don't know each of your stories. And I think I'm realizing in this online world where content is constantly being pushed in your face, it it can hit us with different wounds and stories and we can take offense when offense was not meant to be taken. And uh, if I knew you and I knew your story, there would be things I wouldn't say to you or that I would say with more sensitivity. So thank you for recognizing that we don't know every person's uh, situation. I also know that at the very end there, we brought up something that could cause you fear if you have uh, experienced abuse in your background. I will be talking with a counselor from a women's shelter here in Dallas. That interview's coming up and I may ask her some of those questions to kind of help us walk through that because it is more common than we want to believe for a child or um, even as adult women to be abused. So um, I know that that could have brought up some emotions in you and I'm sorry for that. Um, But I I think I'm going to pray for us because prayer is the first, not the last. I know it's ending up at the last of the episode, but (sighs) I think Praying is so huge. We have been given such a great tool to pray. So if any stress or fear has risen up in you with this conversation, my hope is you would go to God in prayer. Let me go for us right now. Lord, I bring this conversation to you. I pray that you would bind up any of the enemy's attempts to discourage, to bring up that shame to a place that causes anyone to go back into the darkness. I pray, Lord, that you would bring your gentle leading hand. You are the good shepherd. You have such abundant life for us. You have abundant life for our kids waiting, and you long for us to get close enough to you to hear your voice. In a world that's shouting so many different messages, may we as parents be leaning in so close that we can hear your whispers and your truth in your heart for us to live whole and healthy lives that just reflect the beauty of your original design back in the garden. I pray, Lord, that you would pour out just a spirit of discernment, a spirit of peace, a spirit of healing and grace over all of us as we enter these conversations with our kids, that we wouldn't rush in with a sense that we need to do what's right and we should and all of that, but more just a grace to recognize we get to have these conversations with our kids. We get to be that voice in their lives and to not allow a culture to steal that from us or a device to steal that from us. If a mom is parenting an older child and feeling like it's too late, I pray that you would remove that fear from her, that she would know you are with her You can orchestrate any conversation to happen in your perfect timing. I pray for unity among couples where this may bring up some wounds with spouses who are struggling with addiction in regards to 
the topic of masturbation. And I just, I pray for freedom, God. I thank you that you deliver us and that you promise freedom and abundant life. Thank you for entrusting us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I've got some episodes coming up. Next week, we're going to talk about finances. Very different from today's conversation. Budgeting and finances. And then my friend Erin Morgan's going to come on and share about her life of small and faithful obedience. And oh, just really pumped about some future interviews I'm going to be doing in addition to those. So thank you all for trusting me. Thank you for sharing with your friends. Thank you for listening. And um, if you want to leave a review on iTunes, iTunes is all whack-a-mole right now. People have said, hey, where'd your show go? It's still there. iTunes is just tricky. But I think if you do leave a review, then it helps other people find the show. And especially now that a lot of people are releasing podcasts, if you found this show to be helpful in the past, if you could share it with your friends in the future, that would be fantabulistic. All right. Thank you for listening today. I hope you all have a fabulous week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's also where you'll find the show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, he said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that is superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present and with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.